This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Beliefs are at the core of human consciousness. By learning to remove your negative and limiting beliefs, you discover your power as a creator. Then you can create a wonderful and beautiful life for yourself easily and naturally. Lion assists people in healing childhood wounds and removing old programming from their subconscious minds. By removing limitations, resistance, and blocks, you can create the life you want, whether it's in relationships, finances, health, wealth, work, or family. Valeria interviews Lion Goodman. He is the author of Clear Your Beliefs, Clear Your Clients' Limiting Beliefs, Menlightenment, a book for awakening men, The Narcissism Primer, The Heart of Healing, co-author with Deepak Chopra, Dean Ornish, and others, and Creating on Purpose, The Spiritual Technology of Manifestation, co-authored with Anadia Judith, Ph.D., Lion Goodman is founder of the Clear Beliefs Institute of Trauma-Informed Therapeutic Coaching with graduates in 45 countries. He has had 40 years experience as a transformational coach, healer, and teacher. His Clear Beliefs methodology is designed to delete limiting beliefs, childhood wounds, and traumas from the core of the psyche. Lion has taught workshops on four continents, and his writings have been widely published in books, magazines, and websites. Clients and students report profound transformation from his work, freeing them to be happier and more successful. Meet Lion at liongoodman.com. Here's the interview with Lion Goodman. In your own words, who is Lion Goodman? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the opening question. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, well, that's a question I've been asking my entire life, and I hope to continue to ask it throughout the rest of my life. Uh, I am a healer, a teacher, a coach, a therapist of sorts. Uh, I, I am a student of consciousness and spirituality. I am a student of the universe. I learn from everything and everyone, and I love what I do. This is exactly what you said when we met, off record. Yeah, I love my life. <laughs> That's beautiful to hear. I mean, I know it has been a journey. But what has led you here to this moment in time, which to me is time is really, it's a timeless thing, but <laughs> it feels like we are in time here now. But what led you to this moment of making this statement? I love my life. I love what I do. I love this. I've been a student of life uh, ever since I was a child. I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me. 
as a child because I, I knew there must be something wrong because I didn't have the social skills that other kids did. I didn't really attach to anyone in my family, even our dogs I didn't attach to. Uh, I was a loner and I was observing other kids and trying to figure out why did they do what they did? Why do people do what they do? So I was asking that question very young in elementary school. And then as a teenager, I found out about psychology and I began reading about that and the brain. And I I had a, a plastic model of the brain as, as a young teenager. Uh, and my father handed me a book when I was 12 years old called Many Mansions, which was about Edgar Casey and his life readings. And I read part of the book and I closed it and I went, oh, yeah, I remember that. And so I remembered that that's how reincarnation worked and that we had previous lives. And then I got interested in psychic phenomenon and I started practicing telepathy with my girlfriend and I got good at that. And by the time I got to college, I was already fascinated by the human mind. And I created a degree program for myself and graduated with a degree in consciousness studies. So I was studying everything I could, science, physics, biology, dance, mime, uh, psychology of all kinds, developmental biology. Uh, I was just hungry to really understand the world. And I had some great teachers who encouraged me to do that. So by the time I graduated from college, I had explored spirituality and religions and uh, philosophy and linguistics and a really wide range of topics. So that passion has never left me. And uh, after college, I took more than 100 workshops and trainings in mind change, consciousness change, psychology change. Uh, I've done 20 years of shamanic practice and I've uh, been to therapists of all kinds. And I've, I'm an explorer. And about 20 years ago, I realized I had something to teach. And so I began teaching others what I had concluded. And uh, that teaching has turned into a school called the Clear Beliefs Institute. And I have uh, over 600 graduates around the world with this methodology for clearing beliefs from the core of the psyche and healing trauma. So we were talking earlier about, you didn't speak about your experience with suffering. So my open question is, why do you feel we suffer? Why do we all suffer? Well, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, uh, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. Yes. yes. Uh, so pain is part of yeah. life. Um, we could say suffering is part of life. That's what the Buddha said. Uh, and the Buddha did, you know, pointed to our attachments of wanting what we don't have and not wanting what we do have and wanting to not lose what we have. Um, so we could say that's the core of suffering. It's the ego Ultimately, I think when we are born, we are separated from the God head, you know, from the totality of reality. And that separation causes the first wound. Like, wow, I'm no longer one with everything. I'm now this thing. I'm separate. And so that delusion of separateness, the belief that we're separate, I think is at the root of all suffering. And then we try to make up for it with various ways of dealing with the pain and uh, dealing with our with our family and dealing with the things that don't feel quite right uh, and a long time ago we lost tribal culture and tribal culture is really the only culture that makes sense when there's lots of people around to support you and love you into who you are becoming uh, but we went from tribe to extended families to to 
nuclear families to single parent families, and it's gotten worse at each stage. So we have all these environmental pressures as well as psychological pressures and social sociological pressures on us. And that makes us crazy. So, so now we're trying to become sane. <laughs> I know you had a near-death experience. I would love to hear about that. And your idea on, or your, I won't say belief systems, but do you actually believe, yeah, I have to use the word believe for now, in reincarnation, mind continuation from that experience? Well, I remembered past lives from the time I was very young. So it's not really a matter of belief for me. It's a matter of experience. On the other hand, because I work with beliefs as the primary uh, currency of consciousness, it's, uh, beliefs are really the infrastructure of the mind in the same way that neurons are the infrastructure of the brain. So because I'm very careful with beliefs, I don't say I believe in anything. What I say is, here's a model of consciousness that works. It's just a model. Don't believe the model. You know, the map is not the territory. Uh, but uh, we can talk about consciousness through this map. We can talk about the possible uh, realities that are beyond this life. But I don't believe it. It's just sort of a working hypothesis. That's a better way of saying it. You know, as a scientist, you make a hypothesis and you work around it. Um, can we prove past lives exist? Well, there's a lot of people trying, but that's not my uh, that's not my interest. My interest is in helping people clear whatever's in their way, whether it comes from their childhood or their adulthood or their relationship or their their environment or past lives. It doesn't matter to me where the problem is coming from. I just want to go to that source and clear it there. That sounds wonderful to me. It's very practical. And what would you say is the goal of clearing um, limiting beliefs? First, we have to talk about what they are. Um, um, people usually think of beliefs as a mental construct or a commitment to an idea, like I believe in Santa Claus or I believe in less government, you know. But from the way I've, I see it and the, what I've concluded from all my research and studies is that beliefs are actually a multidimensional construct that mind with a capital M uses to help beings survive. So when we're born, our mind is, is forming in the womb and it begins very early looking for patterns. So for example, babies in the womb can detect a difference between their mother's voice and a father's voice or between a mother's voice and another woman's voice. So the baby's already identifying patterns that will help it with survival, just like, you know, baby birds can hear, hear the, the same chirp from a different bird and know it's their mother, right? Um, so, so this pattern detection system is really at the core of the mind and of consciousness. And so we're constructing our mind, we're constructing our sense of self, we're constructing our understanding of the world from a very early age. Then we get words and we start adding words to the construction, but, but the construction starts in the womb. And so the core, the most core beliefs are the beliefs that were formed in the first two years of life before we had words. So they can't be mental constructs. They have to be experiential constructs. And so that's what we work with is, is we work with experience 
and whatever is in the way, whatever conclusion you came to as a child, which made sense at the time, but by the time you're an adult, it doesn't work very well anymore. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, a baby may come to the conclusion, if I cry and make a fuss, I'll be taken care of. Now, that's a good, that's a good belief for a baby. It will help them survive, right? But it doesn't look very good on an adult. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you and I probably know people who still use that methodology oh, yes. to get attention. Right? Yes, yes, yeah. You're right. It is sad to see that they are not able to realize that, that they are still acting, behaving like a child. What is the connection between brain and mind from your perspective, Lion? Well, this is a age-old question, as you know. Uh, it's called the hard problem. And the fact is, is that, mm. you, that nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows. Neuroscientists don't know. Psychologists don't know. Philosophers don't know. Uh, there, there is no clarity on that. Lots of people have theories, but nobody knows. Because you can't open up the brain and find experience anywhere. Or the self. You know, we just know that if you do that, you might lose the self. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and yes. people talk about changing your neurons, neuroplasticity and all this. But, you know, we don't know that we're changing our neurons. We're just experiencing life as it is. So for me, uh, experience is the primary thing we have. It's the primary thing we know. It's the primary thing we work with. And are neurons changing? Yeah, sure. But, but we don't know how or why. And the brain is the most complex thing we know of in the universe. Uh, and so um, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist enough to be able to explain it. Neither is anybody else. So it's a mystery. It's one of the great mysteries of life. And I, I'm happy with it being a mystery. That's an interesting answer to that question. Coming from that scientific perspective, I do a lot of, um, let's say, I listen a lot. I read a lot about Advaita Vedanta. So non-dualists, and their conclusion is that um, consciousness is everything. So there is this, um, everything's happening in consciousness. So it's not that the brain, of course, is not creating consciousness because it's within the realm of consciousness. So everything is, include everything, the whole body, mind, the mind is part of consciousness. So that's a kind of interesting idea because they do. Vedanta, what I really like about it is that they really try, it's almost a, the science of spirituality. They show there's a lot of methods within that system. It is philosophical, a lot of it, but they have a very um, intelligent systems that show, clearly shows that our experience is not what it's, seems to be it's there's a lot more here <laughs> it's not what it looks like <laughs> so I don't know and I take that I, I for some reason um, I know scientists cannot explain anyway they do say now the brain creates everything creates consciousness but then if you ask them how they can't explain so as you said no they cannot explain so I have to take them not that I have to, it just makes sense to me as well. There's something about the way Vedanta explains consciousness that really resonates, I would say, resonates. Yes, well, the idea that consciousness, uh, everything is in consciousness, uh, is sometimes referred to as panentheism. Uh, I would consider call myself a panentheist. You know, that means that 
and Theo, Theo is God. So God in everything, right? God yes. is in everything. Consciousness is in, in everything. Uh, rock has consciousness. It's just very slow and it's hard to talk to. Right. You know, so, yeah, it's right. So, it's a different function, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm with you there. And uh, what, what I love about the word uh, Advaita is, is the root of Dvaita means to divide. It's where we get our word divide. So ah means not. So it's not divided. Um, but the fact is, is that we are in two worlds at once. We are in the the material world, which is divided. Things are separate from each other, and they are all one at the same time. So we have to get used to, the, to that contradiction and that paradox and be okay with it. Because, yes, we are separate individuals, and yes, we are one. Yes, we are material objects, and yes, we are spiritual objects, and yes, we are psychological and energetic and social objects. You know, so all of these things are happening at once. That's why I refer to us as multidimensional beings having multidimensional experiences, and um, and then if if our beliefs are created by our experience, then beliefs have to be multidimensional as well. And so that's our approach: is working with the multidimensionality of the people that we work with, including everything and leaving nothing out. Mm, yeah, I love the inclusion. It's separated, but at the same time, it's not. It seems like we always come to the, the paradox, but it's, um, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be a paradox to me anymore. The more I ground myself in it, it's just how it works. Yes, well, you are enlightened. Then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that is even. <laughs> I hear so many words, but it's just, um, yeah, it's this. What is this? We call life that we use the mind to just label everything, but it's just happening. And you know what? It's better that I'm grateful. Whatever it is, the mind, body, condition, it's grateful for this to be happening because it seems like the opposite of this would be seeing nothing, being aware of nothing, <laughs> of It would be really boring. Right? Have this, yes. Yes, yeah. I like to say that I love the mystery. It's not knowing I can't stand. So the mystery is fine. (laughs) But I also have this this search, this hunger for understanding. And I think we all do, some people more than others. But that search, that seeking of answers, uh, trying to understand the world, is part of consciousness too, just like humor is. You know, I think God has a great sense of humor. And, <laughs> yes. And God is watching the comedy channel and, and we're what's on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You see, that's a very profound um, perspective in a sense of just dancing with the mystery of um, of the idea of seeking knowledge, understanding, and then finding mystery in, in the end. And he's still dancing with that all. He's just Indeed. being. It's a great dance. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I have another question. Yes, about beliefs. This is a question that I have asked some other people here. What is the difference between beliefs and values, Lion? It's oh, a great question, and it's something I've studied in depth. So values are how we prioritize what's important. And you obviously have beliefs about what's important, but but the values themselves are the priorities of what is important. And um, beliefs are the, again, the construct that we use to see reality. So uh, we may be programmed by our parents or our culture to believe that money is the most important thing. So what is my value? My value is money first. 
know, it's top on my list. Money is the most important thing. Uh, that comes from the belief that money is uh, the most important thing. And that belief has come from somewhere. It, it, I, I didn't make it up. You know, it's been programmed into me. Uh, or people are the most important thing. Uh, okay, I'm going to just spend all my time with people and, uh, and money is like way down on my priority list. So I'm just going to serve people. And if I eat, great. If I don't, that's okay too. I'm, you know, I don't mind poverty. So uh, most people have a blend of those things <laughs> and of which values they have. Um, I'm most interested in the virtues, which uh, are uh, which are basically the ways that we behave that create happiness or unhappiness. So virtues create happiness not only in ourselves, like hedonistically, but in our relationships, in our families, in our society. And so all the classic virtues, love, kindness, wisdom, uh, compassion, when we live from those virtues, then we are living our values and we are acting in alignment with them so that we do create happiness. And that's what that's one of the things we're here for. I love it that you mentioned that virtues, yeah, they seem to come from something that we call wisdom. I see that this journey from innocence to wisdom, it's almost like in between that we acquired those virtues because we are open to learn, open to understand, open to know. And then with the, there's another part of this will be intention. With the, For me, it comes from, I call the heart, like the desires and wishes from the heart. Those are the intention. Everything I do has this... Um, underlying intention to benefit the conditioned body-mind here and then of my family and then people around me and then my community and then people all over the world. Not just me, but all of us. Because of that deep understanding, that felt understanding that everything is connected. Mm -hmm. So I guess I, I mentioned intention there and wisdom. But there's another question that I want to ask you. I noticed like a lot of people, myself included, that we come here and I know we learn a lot, those, uh, yeah, those, those, the belief systems that we acquire from people around our society and all that. But there's something that we carry with us that's not learned, at least not from this lifetime. So I remember being around seven years old, looking myself in the mirror and saying, oh, you're back here again in a female body. <laughs> yes. So, and I say that often in the podcast. So where did that come from? Would you call that knowledge, spiritual knowledge, per se? Like in your case, too. Sure. Uh, so I do have a model that I use called soul evolution. Uh, is it something I believe in? No, but it's a model that's useful. Right? So I, I do believe that we have souls and that our souls are evolving and that we we have to repeat experiences because we're mostly blockheads. You know, we, yeah. we, we don't learn very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we have to repeat our experiences over, and over again. True. And the soul evolves slowly and over many lifetimes. And that it keeps coming back to learn more lessons and become balanced and harmonious. The problem is, is that on this planet, in this school that we exist in, there's a lot of wrong thinking, wrong behavior, uh, and, and, uh, what can I say? Um, errors of judgment <laughs> uh, that that we keep we end up repeating negative patterns instead of learning positive patterns. So we have to make up for it. We have to come back and try again. Okay, well, you know, sorry you lost that game. Come back, try again. 
Um, and so for me, we there are older souls and younger souls, and older souls have just been around longer, incarnating more times, and they have, you know, they are either able to learn their lessons faster, or they figured it out, and they align with their highest virtues. I also believe that our souls have intentions, and that's what you were speaking to. Our soul has an intention comes into existence and that we either live that intention or we don't. And because we, we are born with um, amnesia, you know, we don't, we don't remember. Most people don't remember their original intentions. You have, I did, many people do. Um, most people don't because of that hard separation from the one from God or source uh, that they blank out. And they are they're living as that separate being trying to figure it out on, you know, what are the rules of this game? And they've forgotten that they're here for a greater purpose. So when people seek their purpose, they find their own life purpose. They're more in alignment with their soul uh, when they are, can speak to their soul directly or their higher self, whatever you want to call it. They get more information. Those are usually aligned with the virtues that are generally create happiness in life. So people who are self-developers like us uh, are out there learning, practicing, figuring it out, saying there's got to be more to life than just making money and then dying. <laughs> so, so what is that? So as we question that, that and we get, we gather more information, we get smarter, wiser, as you said, and more spiritually awake. So this is a process. Everybody's on the path. Some people are just way at the beginning stages and some people are way at the end stages. And we're somewhere in the middle. You see, that also resonates true to me, this, uh, the journey of the soul. And then the question that I often ask to myself is, what is the goal? Like if there is one purpose for this human experience, one lesson, one major lesson to learn, what would that be? How do we create a sustainable planet that supports all beings, fills everyone's basic needs, everyone, including animals and plants. And we find out how to work together to make a really good life for everyone. To me, that's the big goal. So with that in mind, I'll be asking you more questions about what you do. But before that, I know you have also, oh, it has to do with that, actually. It's connected, of course. You're the author of four e-books and two physical books. I have the titles here. So clear your beliefs, one. Clear your clients' limiting beliefs. Men enlightenment, men enlightenment. Yeah, yeah, that's a new word. <laughs> a book for awakening men. And then the narcissism primer. And then the heart of healing. That was uh, your, your, the co-author with Deepak Chopra and other people. And then also creating on purpose, the spiritual technology of manifestation. Also, you co-wrote with uh, Anodea Judith. Anodea Judith, yeah. So talk to me about these books. That's lots, lots of books. Are they centered around the same idea, teaching principle? Well, they're certainly all centered around healing and growing, uh, becoming awakened and more productive. Um, the The book I wrote with Anadea, Anadea is well known for her books on the chakras. And so we were both teaching separately about how to manifest in the world. And when we came together, we realized that our teachings were complementary. And so we began teaching workshops around the world in many different countries on how to manifest using these principles 
of the chakras as a model for manifestation process and beliefs and and how to clear beliefs as a way of getting the stuff out of the way when we're trying to manifest. So uh, that's one of my favorite books because um, there's a lot of false information about, for example, the law of attraction. If you think it, it will come. Well, that turns out not to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can say all the yes. affirmations you want about having money, but a bag of money will not fall on your head by saying affirmations. So you have to take action and you have to take action in the right realms in order to make it happen. So in that book in particular, we talk about how you take a thought, an idea, and bring it down through the chakras of, to make it more and more dense, more and more uh, uh, condensed. And, and more and more real until the point where you're actually taking action, which is what gets you to manifest something in the world. So that's kind of our anti-affirmation book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our, you know, anti-false <laughs> information book, um, because it does take a lot of a lot to manifest. It's not something that just comes from thought alone. We can manifest inside ourselves with thought alone. I can say I am happy. And I can create happiness inside of me. Uh, but then, of course, it comes into battle with all the other beliefs that I've had from the past, which is, oh, you're not really happy. Oh, come on. Don't fool yourself. You know, look at all the suffering in the world. Right. So, so this idea that w- whenever you say a new belief, a new and create something new, the old beliefs are going to jump up and reassert themselves because they were there first. Right. So say I'm going to lose 10 pounds uh, uh, this month and you immediately hear, oh, come on, you've never done that before. Uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, uh, besides, you have that chocolate cake you have to eat in the refrigerator mm-hmm. yes. before you start a diet, <laughs> a wedding, and you can't be on a diet at a wedding. So, so if we clear those beliefs, the old beliefs first, then when you plant the new belief, it will root and, and flower and blossom and, and fruit. So that's my process. That's the clearing beliefs process and why it's so important is because if we clear away the rocks and weeds before we plant the garden, we're going to get more to grow. And it's the same in the mind. We have to clear the old beliefs first, and then we have open space in which the new belief can be implanted. And then it takes, then it creates and manifests. But if you don't do that first, then you're throwing seeds on rocky, weedy ground and you're not going to get much to grow. So that's the principle behind the clear beliefs method is that we clear out what's in the way first. Then you have new opportunities. Your eyes are open to seeing new things. You're a different person. You react differently. You respond differently. And you have more capability. Um, so that's the underlying principle that integrates that book with what I do. And teach. Right. That also makes a lot of sense to me. And the, the question that comes to mind is those old belief systems, do they still, let's say, they are not removed, are they, Lion? They are in my process. They're not in most processes. Uh, you know, most processes that supposedly change beliefs are mental. So they yeah. say, well, just believe something different. Well, that's yeah. great, but it's but and eventually you'll uh, eventually you'll believe it in your subconscious mind. That doesn't happen because the subconscious you have to clear things out of the subconscious. They don't clear by themselves. You might be able to overwhelm them for a while, but then the old belief's going to come back at some point when it gets stimulated. So, uh, but we, yes, we we clear things completely because we're clearing them not just from the mind, 
but from the physical body, the emotional body, the mental body, the spiritual body, the relational body, the energetic body, the environmental body. So that's why it's multidimensional. If you clear it multidimensionally, then it's gone and it doesn't come back. Talk to me about the process. Those are physical sessions or do you do them remotely as well? Does it involve hypnotherapy? Yeah, I would love to hear more. Sure. Uh, it does not involve hypnotherapy. It is not NLP. It is not like anything, really. Um, it's something I created out of my own experience. Uh, and it has similarities to many of those things because whoever's working with a mind and doing a good job is going to come to the same basic tools. Uh, my tool set is 12 different tools that are all integrated together. Uh, we use, for example, um, uh, guided visualization and we use it in a particular way that enables someone to go back into their past to the root cause of whatever the problem is they're, they're experiencing today and yeah. make, make changes there at the root in the infrastructure of the mind, in the subconscious mind and the conscious mind and the superconscious mind all at once. And then when that happens, there's a sudden shift. People can feel it. They go, oh, my God, I'm a different person. So people often say, I was carrying that burden my whole lifetime. And in this one session, it's just gone. Um, and, and so uh, so that's why my process works, because I tried lots of other processes that didn't work well or they worked temporarily or partially. And I was looking for like what really works here. I was trying to fix myself <laughs> first. Right. You know? yeah. And so yeah. so I tried everything on myself. I was the experimental yeah. animal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's very good. I love when I hear that. Some of the people that I talked to, they tried themselves, except for the um, of course addiction treatments. They usually uh, they are not addicts. But they oh, know how Dr. to Dr. Mate, who's one of my favorite people, uh was an addict for a while. That's that's why he went into addiction medicine. And I think addicts who become healers of other addicts, uh, they know the experience from the inside. And that's that's one of the reasons why people who suffer become healers, because they want they know what suffering is and they want to heal it. They want to help other people heal it, especially if they got a healing. One of the problems with that is that is that if a person who has a sudden awakening or a healing with a technique believes that that technique will work for everybody. And so they go, they learn that technique and then they become a practitioner and they go try to use that technique on everyone. And it's sort of like, all if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, what I realized is that we're all different. We're all unique. And so we need a whole set of tools to apply to each individual, their particular psyche, their particular experience in their past, their particular problem. So it's a it's a multi-tool set rather than a, a single practice. Yeah, how do we approach people who need, they actually need this work, but they are not, they seem not to be ready yet because they are not coming across these uh, healing tools. What would you say to that? Do we come across people like yourself when we are ready or suffering also can bring us to open up to healing. I wonder, I often wonder. I, I'm sure you've heard the the old joke that, you know, how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Yeah. Only one, but the, ther but the light bulb has to really want to change. Right. 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 So, right. Yeah. Uh, so when we are confronted by people who are suffering, uh, I ask the question, how is that working for you? Uh, and if they say terrible, I, I, want, I want it to be different. Then I say, okay, well, I, I may be able to be of service. Uh, 
but if they say, hey, everything, you know, hey, it's working, you know, my life's working, I'm okay, no problem. I go, well, good, continue on. <laughs> because I can't, <laughs> let them I, don't, I can't judge them. Uh, if they decide they want to change, they will. But we, we can't change people, but we can influence them. One of the ways we influence them is by living a great life, having a good time, uh, clearing ourselves and, and being happy. And then they may look over and say, you know, how did you get there? Well, uh, let me show you. Uh, there's a path here. So we can inspire people. Uh, and, of course, inspire means to breathe in, right? So we go, wow, look at that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd like to do that. <laughs> so that's really how we can influence others is by living the best life we can, spreading the word. You're doing a beautiful job with your podcast. You know, spread. we have to spread these healing methodologies as widely as possible. Yes. Because there is so much suffering in the world. And, you know, it's not just mental. Some of it is physical. Some of it's environmental. Some of it's yeah. political or economic. And so we can't change social beliefs by ourselves. We have to change social beliefs through social action. And that's important, too. We have to take this great awakening that we have and bring it into social action to change the world, to make the world a better place. It's not just for us to be blissful and, you know, sitting in the lotus position uh, right. at an ashram. I mean, it's OK if that's your path. But but I think we have to include others and the world itself. And it's a tough it's a tough one because the world's a lot older than we are and its patterns are very stuck for a long time. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful answer to that question. So by changing ourselves, we can influence and can inspire others rather than kind of telling them what to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love that better, that idea, of course. And, and I that's one of the things, one of my practices, but sometimes I can't help it. but <laughs> just kind of give my husband, for example, why don't you meet? And then, I, you know, my guest name and give him the information, you know, and other people. But I know with the, with the intention that they could at some point kind of choose that. Because I do see some personality types that they are, it's more challenging for them to see even where their suffering is coming from. So we can see from the outside, but they are not able to see them, those patterns. Yeah. That's true. And one of the problems with telling someone that they would be better off if they did this thing that you do is that it makes them feel shame because that means there's something wrong with them that needs to be fixed. So uh, uh, I have this same issue with my wife. She tells me all yeah. I'm doing yes. uh, to better for myself, <laughs> and it just makes me feel bad. It doesn't help any. <laughs> so so I, tr I try to not. I try to only work with people who actually want to uh, to to change. You know. So we're almost at the end, and I do have another question for you. This sounds like an open question, but it has been here trying to come out. The idea of happiness is happiness. A practice because I wonder like after we do all this work we do a lot of healing work and we engage in so many practices it seems like we it, it takes practice to to keep ourselves in the clear space then with stay with a, a clear mind um, live in clarity and come from joy but then there's happiness that has to do with the influence of the outside of the things that we do eat interactions so how do we dance that dance around happiness <laughs> um, happiness is often thought of as a state 
but I don't think it's a state. I think it's a skill. And all skills are built with study and practice. So if you want to learn to build a brick wall, study and practice. You want to learn to play the piano, study and practice. You want to become a professor of biology, study and practice. So if we think of happiness as a, as a practice, as a, as a skill, it takes skill. You have to study it and practice it and study it and practice it to get good at it. And then you can sustain it. And then it becomes a status rather than a state. Because we can all be in the state of happiness when we eat a piece of cake or wish somebody a happy birthday and give them a present. That's the state of happiness. But status is long term. It's where you are long term. And I, my own belief is that we need to be fully integrated. We need to have our spiritual life intact, our physical life, emotional life, and, and mental life all functioning well uh, and those are practices that's how we get there is by practicing the virtues by practicing our practices by engaging in the things that we know will make us healthy uh, and people who live the longest it turns out have really good and close relationships so the relational world is a place where we get happiness as well uh, it's really hard to be happy alone and there's so much aloneness in this culture I saw a huge percentage of people in this culture, in, in the American culture, live alone way more than any time in history. And we're seeing the results in the addiction and the trauma and the, and the horror that people go through because um, you, can't, you can't find happiness by yourself. It's an interrelational state. Yeah. Wow. What a lovely answer, too. Um, I love your wisdom, Lion. And I know it's yeah, it's coming from this depth of self-understanding, of self-knowledge, and of course, lots of practices. Lots. Of practices. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I also hear the humility, which is another component of wisdom. So thank you so much for being you, for doing what you do. It's truly beautiful. Uh, thank you, Valeria. So we are almost at the end of this interview for today. I do have a few more questions for you. But before that, Lion, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid? Well, there's so much to say. Uh, if we had another few hours, I think I, <laughs> I know. keep talking. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> in the interest so. of time, I'll, I'll just say that... Uh, You know, there, are, there are three centers of virtues. There's the head virtues, which you called wisdom. There's the heart virtues, which you also mentioned, you know, that your heart knowing, right? Uh, love and compassion, those are heart virtues. And then there are will virtues. Those are the gut virtues of strength and power and, and you know, right use of will, that kind of thing. So when we're balanced between the virtues of the head, the virtues of the heart, and the virtues of the gut – then we are living a good and balanced life and we are operating with the best of intentions, the best actions, we're choosing well and we're creating a great life that not only makes us happy but also makes others happy. It sounds amazing. And even that status of balance is dynamic, right? Lana? Yes, absolutely. So I have a few more questions. I'll ask you this one. What is freedom to you? Or what is another word for freedom? I like your questions. You ask <laughs> questions. <laughs> uh, freedom is being unencumbered. And of course, we have to know what encumbered is in order to know what freedom is. Uh, we are um, we're all carrying 
heavy weights around from our past because experience has to be experienced fully to be integrated and and completed. And most of us have lots of incomplete experiences. Our trauma, for example, is an incomplete experience. We we don't we, it gets stuck in us because we couldn't handle it at the time. And so by going back and and completing those incomplete experiences, the unfinished business of the past, we actually allow that thing, that experience to complete itself. And when it's complete, it disappears or it changes. And so freedom for me is the constant incremental choice to clear something from the past that's un, that you're still carrying around to the point where there's nothing you're left with carrying around. And then you have the freedom to move, you have the freedom to see, you have the freedom to choose. That's where freedom comes from, is being uh, free from the encumbrances of the past. That's amazing to hear. I have heard that before. And I think I read, I didn't hear it here on a podcast for the first time. I guess I'm, I'm hearing that from you. I read somewhere. So would you say that every experience we have is complete? No, most are not. Uh, we have we have millions, probably millions of experiences that were not complete for various reasons, because there's only one way to experience your experience, and that is to be with it fully and completely. And when you do that, then it completes and it disappears. But when we ignore it, when we pretend to be something else, when we think about it, when we talk about it, when we act against it, when we suppress it or push it away, when we... Uh, when we ignore it, uh, all of these are ways of not experiencing your experience. And so there's a lot more ways to not experience your experience than to actually experience it. And so, so we have a huge amount of weight that we're carrying around from all those incomplete experiences. So, th so that's why people walk around depressed because of all that unfinished business. Yeah, that also, yeah, I came to realize that that was my own case with a lot of traumas in the past and carrying that around. And now my approach per se, or my practice is to see every experience as complete, which is a, a really, it's a tough one. It's a big order. <laughs> it's a, not easy, but kind of I wake up reflecting on whatever it is that will happen. It is happening as the last moment of the body mind being here in this reality. So that kind of gives me a sense of peace though. Of course I don't succeed every day and every time I try, most often I don't, but it's such a powerful one because there's a sense of wholeness. I'm whole already, this is whole, this is complete. And then it's almost like the Zen kind of approach, done and forgotten. Yes, I was gonna say it's a very Buddhist approach. Uh, and there's, the philosophy of Buddhism is let the past be the past, be in the present. And that's a really good process. I don't believe it clears the past in deep meditations. You can go through and clear, clear stuff. Uh, but we've got a lot of stuff to clear and uh, being present. Excellent. You know, if you clear the past, you become more and more present because there's less you're carrying around, but the subconscious mind is often driving the bus and so, you know, when you're working to be present and suddenly something happens and you're swerving off the cliff because an inner child is unhappy or reactive, <laughs> then, then it's hard to stay present because the, the subconscious mind just takes over. 
So by clearing the past piece by piece, moment by moment, experience by experience, incident by incident, then you've got a chance to be more and more and more present easily and effortlessly rather than trying to force it to happen. Mm, yes, I love that. Yeah, that also resonates because it is because of the practice that I have done of clearing some mm. of the subconscious baggage that now I can contemplate the idea even of living moment by moment and being more present in, in wholeness. I had a lot of work done before. Yeah, most of us have, yeah. I can tell, I can tell. You're, you're, you're a walking testament to that process. It has been a, a fun experience. It has been very much a lot of fun talking to you today too, Lion. Um, very freeing in a sense. Uh, there's something about your presence that inspires uh, freedom, I must say. Uh, it's really you. beautiful. Thank you so much again. But before we say goodbye for today, what is the best place to find more information about you and what you do? I have a free monthly event in which we invite people to explore their beliefs and they can register at beliefrelief.net. And if people are interested in my training, uh, they can go to clearbeliefs.com. And if they want to get in touch with me or learn about my coaching, liongoodman.com. Wonderful. I'll have those links on your podcast profile as well. Thank you so much again for everything and everything you do, your beautiful presence. And it's inspiring, not just myself, but I see passing that on to my husband because that's the next thing I will do, talk to him about it. <laughs> so thank you for the creating this circle of healing. Uh, thank you, Valeria. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you, Lion. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lion Goodman and his work, please visit liongoodman.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.